Welcome to FinReg Focus, a podcast series brought to you by our financial regulatory practice lawyers here at Reed Smith. I am Tim Dolan, a partner in Reed Smith's financial regulatory team. The regulatory landscape in which financial market participants operate is constantly evolving. We hope that you find our commentary on how you and your organization can best prepare to comply with the changing regulatory rules and regulations useful and insightful. If you have any questions about the topics discussed on this podcast, please do not hesitate to contact our speakers. So with that, let's get started. Hello and welcome back to this episode of the FinReg Focus series. Today we're revisiting a topic that we last talked about in January of this year. Uh, You're listening to Doug Cherry uh, at the moment. I'm joined today by my colleague Mark Pring and you'll hear from him in just a little bit. We're already back now by popular demand, or perhaps more likely uh, in the wake of the uh, Supreme Court's decision in respect of the FCA's test case in relation to a number of policies uh, which in principle provided business interruption or BI insurance cover. The financial impact, uh, obviously, of COVID-19 on businesses continues. While many of us are looking to the future, Others of us are also determined to pursue insurance claims arising out of BI losses suffered during the pandemic and the crisis surrounding it. So one of the key things we want to look at today is whether the Supreme Court's decision and the FCA's response has assisted those people with such claims in their cause. And to unpack that, we're going to look both at the legal issues and the regulatory ones. So First off, the role of the regulator, the FCA. So in the previous podcast, we touched on the role of the FCA. And I think it just bears repeating that as regards the BI issue, the FCA has been a very interventionist regulator. That obviously is fairly unusual for us here in the UK. Typically, matters of contractual interpretation are usually seen as a commercial issue between the parties to the contract and absent any clear conflict with FCA rules or principles, the FCA tends to let parties in a dispute get on with it themselves. Obviously, you'll be aware that in this case, the FCA did see fit to take the lead and went to the courts seeking some degree of legal certainty where possible against a very uncertain backdrop. Also, just as a refresher, as I'd previously mentioned in January, the approach taken by the FCA here is really somewhat paternalistic. We usually see them act in that way in the context of how firms regulated by the FCA are dealing with their retail clients as defined under the rules. In this case, the impacted constituency is much broader. It extends to, to those people, but actually more so to small and medium-sized enterprises in many instances. We have obviously seen the FCA be interventionist before, perhaps most recently in relation to the interest rate hedging products project, although the current situation really has gone much further in engaging on BI and its impact, the content of policies and how they will operate by turning to the courts for some satisfaction rather than just reviewing and implementing its own rules and views. So I'm now going to ask Mark to pick up the thread um, and talk a little more about um, the court process. Thanks, Doug. When we uh, last spoke on this topic, I definitely ducked out of dwelling in detail on the 
legal and evidential issues arising out of that business interruption test case. My genuine excuse at the time was that the UK Supreme Court's decision in the so-called leapfrog appeals made by a number of parties involved in the test case, so that's insurers, the intervening class action groups, and the FCA, that decision was still awaited. I cannot avoid it now, though, and will try to be brief when I consider it. But first of all, it's helpful, I think, to repeat that however innovative the FCA's intervention has appeared to us, as Doug has noted, our US colleagues here at Reed Smith have been far more surprised in view of their contrasting experience of the, if you like, philosophy and approach of many US state regulators to insurance coverage disputes. It's fair to say that from the US perspective, at least, they didn't expect the FCA to adopt a role that was so overtly supportive of of policyholders' interests. To that end, however, and by way of reminder, on the 1st of May last year, the FCA released a statement to the effect that it intended to obtain appropriate English court declarations aimed, as Doug said, at resolving contractual uncertainty in relation to certain selected BI business interruption insurance policies. And that statement at the time indicated that acting in the public interest, the FCA will put forward policyholders' arguments to their best advantage. We're aiming to obtain legal guidance in this way more quickly and at a lower cost to policyholders than would be the case if they took their own court actions, or indeed any other route such as the financial ombudsman. I guess the next question for us is, how did the FCA go about persuading so many insurers ultimately to participate in the test case? And on our last podcast, we touched uh, in more detail on the fact that the FCA had already made clear in March 2020 that it had expectations, that's the key word, of insurance firms, not just those underwriting BI policies, but firms in general, to ensure that they continue to treat customers fairly, bearing in mind the extraordinary circumstances in which individuals indeed, but in this case businesses, now found themselves. Doug, I think it's probably worth just touching here on how unusual, if you like, this step was in terms of the way they set out those those expectations. Absolutely. Th- thanks, Mark. I mean, the, the FCA in this regard you know, set out in a link on its website, specifically uh, its expectations on insurance firms and uh, in the context of coronavirus. Now, what is particularly interesting about this is whether it is seen as expectations or some guidance, a gentle suggestion, or perhaps a thinly veiled threat. Um, Perhaps uh, that latter point is stretching the bow a little too far, but, you know, it is important to remember that TCF, treating customers fairly, has been a consistent mantra at the FCA for a number of years. The primary focus in a TCF context has always been the real person consumer level, where there's a a clear gap in many cases in the level of bargaining power and often a comprehension gap between a provider and a consumer. So that's familiar territory. In an insurance context, uh, we've seen the FCA take a very paternalistic and strong interest 
from a payment protection insurance perspective. The industry is now dealing with the tail end of that issue, but that has been prevalent for over a decade. And that in itself is something which will have informed the FCA's approach, at least to some degree. Now, in this instance, the FCA swiftly acknowledged that many policies would not respond to BI claims, in particular, where there was no property damage, which is required by many policies, could not be identified by policyholders. But where other policies did appear to be triggered in respect of BI claims, the FCA sent on the 15th of April last year a Dear CEO letter uh, to all chief executives of insurance firms outlining those expectations um, and expanding on them that, that, that Mark mentioned, specifically with regard to the settlement of BI claims and the need to assess and settle claims quickly. It emphasised the need for customers to be provided with clear, timely and accurate information. It also sought copies of relevant policy wording from insurers to be provided to the FCA. It also went on to talk about and state that it expected firms that only had arguments in relation to part of a BI claim, either to make an interim payment covering the balance, or, if not, explain to the FCA the grounds for withholding such a payment, together with a statement of why the firm believed that not paying was nonetheless a fair outcome for its customers. Quite a challenging proposition in the face of a regulator that was clearly looking to adopt a paternalistic and interventionist type approach. And of course, it then gently added to further persuade, cajole or or prompt uh, compliance that, in its view, your firm's decision is likely to inform our assessment of its culture. Culture, there's a word that is all pervasive in the regulatory world now. It's the overriding consideration of the FCA. Everything is viewed through that lens by it to one degree or another. Senior managers of regulated firms are assessed at it an individual level on their approach to it, and the governance and operation of the firm is measured against it. All firms are expected to have the right culture. An undefined term and one that, that it can be difficult to work into the business and understand, but important nonetheless. Alongside the reference to culture, the FCA is very much wedded to the duty of firms to ensure fairness, again, though, without precisely defining what that means. This, of course, then leaves regulated firms and insurers in this context to their own determination of fairness and application, which necessarily sees variation in an individual firm's understanding of what is fair. So, thinking about those concepts and bearing those in mind, in this case, the BI issues fell to be addressed in the courts through an expedited process. And again, I'm going to hand back over to Mark, who's going to talk to us a little more about that process. Thanks very much, Doug. So let's have a look at how this this philosophy, if you like, this approach of the FCA translated into action. How did the expedited test case get up and running? Well, following the April letter and in conjunction with its legal advisors, the FCA selected a draft list of what it understood to be a representative sample of BI policies. And then following a short consultation period with the markets, so with insurers 
and brokers and other risk intermediaries. In early July 2020, a final list of the sample policies and the relevant insurers who had agreed to participate, in the FCA's words, in the proposed proceedings was published. At a case management conference held on 16th June, so before then, Mr Justice Butcher decided that the FCA's case raised issues of general importance to the financial markets because, as he rightly saw, the issues were relevant to widely used policy wordings. So the judge ordered that what we refer to as the financial markets test case scheme should apply to the FCA's claim and gave directions for an expedited trial, i.e. a process that was very much accelerated as compared to normal litigation. And that trial would be held before both him and of Court of Appeal Judge, Lord Justice Flo, with a view to commencing on the 20th of July. So everything was accelerated as a result of that finding that the financial markets test case scheme should apply. So what was the approach of the courts in due course? We've, we've spoken previously about this. The, the first judgment of uh, Mr. Justice Butcher and Lord Justice Flo was handed down on the 15th of September last year. It was inevitable, however, that following a 162-page judgment, both sides, as it were, would lodge appeals. The UK Supreme Court, as we flagged on our last podcast, subsequently handed down its judgment on 15 January this year. And we're all obviously coming to terms with that. As with the first instance judgment, it met largely with approval in the media, given that its many aspects were favourable to the FCA's position and therefore to policyholders who had a range of policy wordings. And I will talk in a little bit of detail about some of the language used in those policies and the positive decisions that the Supreme Court made in this regard. So first, the Supreme Court confirmed that the so-called disease wordings, policy wordings, do provide cover for BI losses resulting from an occurrence of COVID-19. And that means at least one case within the specified geographical radius of the premises, the business premises from which their operations are, uh, their business activities are conducted. So there has to be at least one occurrence, one case within the relevant radius, and the policy may specify, each policy may specify a different radius. Secondly, while the Supreme Court confirmed that there must be an inability, the usual language used, to use the premises rather than something seen as a lesser factor such as impairment or hindrance of use, for so-called prevention of access or hybrid policies to be triggered, an inability can be satisfied, the court found, where a policyholder is unable to use the premises for a discrete, a particular business activity, or is unable to use a discrete or particular part of its premises for business activities. So if you like partial effect on the business operations or on the physical premises itself. So the court introduced some flexibility into its interpretation of inability to use the premises. Thirdly, the Supreme Court rejected insurers' argument to the effect that policyholders 
would in any event have suffered the same or similar BI losses, even if the insured risk or peril provided for in the policy had not occurred, as a result of which the claims failed either because the loss was not caused by an insured peril or because of how the so-called trends clauses in the policy required the loss to be quantified. Now, those are difficult concepts, concepts of causation and concepts of trends clauses. But effectively, the court was saying that the insurers could not give with one hand and take away with another. They could not say that technically an insured may have qualified because of the types of specific language we considered just before for cover under the policy. But unfortunately, they then had to take account of market conditions and in the COVID-19 environment, the court said this was an unacceptable approach to such issues. Doug, I'll give everyone a breather from the law, and maybe you can say something about the FCA's approach in response. Thanks, Mark. So, so yes, so the FCA got the ball rolling and, and to use the rugby parlance, ran with the ball through the initial court case and then again through the Supreme Court case and then once the judgment was delivered, unsurprisingly, was very active in pushing forward its agenda following having some legal certainty. So within a few days, a week, on the 22nd of January this year, a new Dear CEO letter was issued by it. Amongst other things, it stated in the FEA's view that it is essential that insurers reassess and settle claims quickly in the light of the Supreme Court judgment, including making interim payments on policies where the claim has been accepted either in full or in part, but elements of the calculation or agreement on the final settlement remain outstanding. This is consistent with the wider objectives of the FCA to support business and consumers during the current coronavirus situation. So you know that language was not new, it was repetitive, but what it did do was make it abundantly and unequivocally clear that the FCA's expectations, having previously referred to fairness, having previously referred to culture, were that uh, claims should be settled and quickly. The FCA, helpfully, has also provided policyholders and their advisors with a range of practical tools on its website. And that, that can be found uh, on the FCA website. I'm going to read this one out because it's, it is worth having a look. It's, it's an interesting and very helpful summary. So that's found at www.fca.org.uk slash firms slash business interruption insurance with a dash between business interruption and interruption and insurance. That site assists with, for instance, checking whether the policy matches those considered by the courts or similar. And it also assists in establishing the, the presence of coronavirus and the like. A very useful resource and one which absolutely backs up the FCA's commitment to trying to provide clarity and to being policyholder focused on this issue. Just quickly, you know, what does the future hold? Well, it's been a very interesting case for policyholders and providers alike. The interventionist nature of the action taken by the FCA, the early repeated focus on the centrality and importance of culture, the notion of fairness, illustrate that the FCA wants to put overt direct pressure on the senior management at regulated firms, insurers. 
the ongoing emphasis at all uh, FCA and PRA regulated firms, insurer or otherwise, on the importance of individual accountability means that business leaders within firms need to take responsibility and will have to be able to demonstrate what steps that they themselves and indeed the firm has taken to ensure that decisions made on these policies, made on claims, are consistent with fairness and demonstrative of that culture that the FCA, as my word, not theirs, demands from those firms it regulates. So I think now building on the FCA's piece, Mark has some practical tips to think about policies and what BI policyholders might want to do in light of the judgment issued by the Supreme Court. Thanks very much, Doug. And, and yes, now obviously it's a question of horses for courses, if I can put it like that. And we, everyone is in a unique position, so we'll need to get specific advice. But we've certainly published guidance where we try to set out several practical steps that perhaps all BI policyholders should take in the light of the Supreme Court judgment. And I'll run through those quickly. First one is is blindingly obvious, in a sense, check your policy wordings. Try to identify which of the three categories of policy wording your BI coverage contains. And I mentioned before, disease wordings, prevention of access wordings, or hybrid wordings. And those are taken from the FCA test case, those broad categories. The Supreme Court judgment has confirmed that coverage for BI losses due to COVID-19 would or should be available under all three types of wordings in many circumstances. So hopefully, again, you'll need to take advice, but it makes it more likely that your BI policy will provide at least some cover for your COVID-19 related losses. When I talk about advice, um, I don't just mean legal advice where necessary, but first of all, uh, liaise closely with your brokers. That would be my second practical point. Your brokers will then liaise hopefully closely with the insurers as well. We strongly recommend that you contact them if you haven't done so already to press for cover and seek an indemnity in respect of your claim. Many insurers having put discussions on hold with the brokers pending the decision of the Supreme Court in a test case. So they have no reason now, and as Doug has said, the FCA has made it clear they definitely have no reason not to focus on your claim, even if they've tried to reject it previously. Third point, review any proposed offer from your insurer to settle BI claims. Policyholders engaging with their brokers regarding settling an existing BI claim should reconsider any settlement terms offered in the light of the Supreme Court decision. Insurers may seek to reduce their liability by, for instance, deducting any government support received from any settlement. But as Doug has noted, the FCA will, in certain circumstances, intervene if they don't consider that insurers are being fair. So all of that needs reconsideration. Just moving on, fourth point, record gathering. So it's incredibly important for you when you're holding those discussions with the brokers and presenting or representing the claim that you maintain and provide good records of any losses sustained to your business during COVID-19 in order to satisfy those causation and quantification requirements I touched on before. 
Any general downturn caused by COVID-19 in the lead up to any action or decision which closed your business doesn't necessarily, as I say, need to be taken into account when making adjustments under the relevant provisions in the policy, although there may be some debate with the insurers about that even now. Next point, prevalence of COVID-19. Doug touched on how helpful the FCA website is, including in terms of looking at questions of prevalence or occurrence of COVID-19. You must, as a policyholder, establish the prevalence of COVID-19 if necessary to trigger coverage. And again, we recommend you look at the FCA's guidance in this regard. Finally, renewal. We anticipate that insurers will seek to reduce any future risk exposure to your business in relation to COVID-19 by altering or amending the BI coverage they're willing to provide. In particular, new policies are expected to, and have done, expressly exclude losses resulting from the pandemic. And the so-called trends clause, which I mentioned, may also be narrowed. Uh, It's therefore vital for you and your broker to review any draft amended insuring clause, trends clauses, and and other exclusions to ensure you understand the coverage that is actually being offered and whether it's sufficient for your business needs. So a lot of practical tips in there, but hopefully helpful. Thanks, Mark. So just um, in the last minute or so from me here, just to round out that discussion, you have the legal and the regulatory sides uh, to this coin. It's, It's obvious that the FCA is clearly aiming at achieving fairness for policyholders and has chosen to exert pressure on the insurance industry on this issue. It's our view that the test case has served policyholders better in many cases than having to have several separate referrals to the ombudsman, which would cap losses, it would take a long time potentially, and or result in situations where, because of the cap, court action may be required or preferable, which again would be a lengthy and expensive process. Despite the fact that the FCA has clearly exerted pressure and made demands on those firms that it regulates, anecdotally, it does appear that some insurers do continue to seek to distance themselves from the effects of the judgment. Time will tell whether that behaviour is seen as consistent with fairness, consistent with the culture uh, that the FCA has spoken about, and whether the FCA will choose to intervene uh, on an individual or wider basis going forward. So on that note, it really just remains to be seen whether a test case approach um, will constitute a rare example because of unique uh, circumstances of interventionist action of this type from the FCA, or whether it may be seen as something that the FCA will look to do again in the future to, from its perspective, potentially provide that certainty to intervene across a broad category without having to expend vast amounts of energy on individual cases itself. This was, in any event, the first uh, case to be admitted to the financial markets test case scheme But as I say, given its speed and relative effectiveness to date, it may well not be the last. So thank you to Mark and thank you to all for everyone listening today. We do hope that you will join us again in the future to hear the next episode of FinReg Focus. Thank you all. FinReg Focus is a Reed Smith production. 
Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's global financial regulatory practice, please email Tim Dolan at tdolan at reedsmith.com. That is T-D-O-L-A-N at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcasts on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, and reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at Reedsmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. All rights reserved.